The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. This is episode number 47. Technically, it is still Sunday, May the 14th, Mother's Day. So I hope everybody hugged their mothers today or made them a nice cocktail that you learned about on the MMA on the Rocks YouTube channel, which you may or may not be watching right now. You could be listening on iTunes or any other podcast app, but that's where we're at right now. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, my name is Bill Welker. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how has your weekend been? How was your Mother's Day? How is everything? Because I haven't talked to you too much this weekend. Yeah, I've been a little bit busy with work, which is surprising because I don't enjoy work. So, you know, been a little busy, but um, I got my mom some Italian chocolates that she really likes, and I bought her breakfast. So overall, it's been a very happy Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day to your mom, Bill, uh, who is very enjoyable, even though she gives me shit for not knowing some of the artists that she's into. Yeah, I mean, there's pretty much only one artist she's into, and that's the one and only Tom Jones, Sir Tom Jones. Uh, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. If you're listening, she tells me she listens, but uh, I never really tested it. So I guess here's the test. Mom, if you're listening, uh, send me a text so I know you're out there. Uh, she She's one of the, the only listeners we have, probably. <laughs> well, for some, <laughs> what are the for some reason, yeah, for some reason, the download numbers keep going up. So thanks to everybody who's been tuning in and participating and all our hashtags and all the fun stuff. So we had some awesome MMA action this weekend. UFC 211 from Dallas, Texas. Uh, two championship fights and just so much action. And uh, we're recording a little bit later than usual. And that's because I just got home from Orlando. I spent the weekend in the most magical place on earth, uh, Walt Disney World, which is debatable whether or not it's the most magical place on earth, which I'll get into. So Saturday, I spent the day at Epcot, which is, you know, the park with the big golf ball looking thing in front of it. And, you know, they got some rides and stuff, but what they're really known for is like the world showcase. So it's like a mildly racist tour around the world where they have pretty much every stereotype for like nine different countries. So if you go into the world showcase and you go to the left, you start off in Mexico and you end up in Canada and you can try food and beverages from, you know, each of the different countries, you know, they got China in there and Japan and France and the United States for some reason. So you work your way around. And of course I was sampling the beers from each of the countries and uh, by the time you get about halfway around, they all kind of start to taste the same. But one I want to shout out is uh, Casa Beer, which I had in the Morocco section of the World Showcase. Who knew that Moroccan beer was good? Nobody ever told me this. So if you've been holding out this information, uh, fuck you. And <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to be the guy to hold out this information. I'm going to tell you about Casa Beer. It's a... It's a pale lager, and it's really light, so it's like an all-day beer. I would classify it somewhere in between a Bud and a Bud Light. A uh, little more flavor to it, a little smoother, not as carbonated, and a tiny bit of sweetness to it. I, I got a little bit of apple. Uh, so really awesome beer, and I'm going to try and find it. Hopefully it's not just in Morocco and Epcot. And there are other places you can get this beer because uh, it's a really good one. It'll make a really great uh, beach beer. So Casa Beer from Casablanca, Morocco. Check that out uh, if, you know, you have the resources too. Uh, another thing I had that they do at Epcot, which is really cool, in the Japan area, 
they have Kirin beer, which is a common Japanese beer. You can find it at most uh, sushi and hibachi restaurants here. But what they do is they put some frozen foam on top uh, about this much. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, you have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm holding up my fingers about inch and a half, two inches. So it's got the frozen foam on top, which is delicious. Uh, there's a picture of it on my Instagram if you want to check that out, at MMA on the Rocks. And uh, a couple of other things might still be up on my Instagram story from my trip to Epcot and, you know, all the beers I had around the world, quote unquote. Uh, but it's really cool because it, it keeps it nice and cold. But uh, after Morocco, um, you know, all the beers kind of started to taste the same because after five or six, when you're walking around in the heat, um, you know, your, your taste buds kind of fail you a little bit. So, Jeff, any experience with epcot disney world in general moroccan beer any of the above i'm gonna go with choice f which is none of the above unfortunately mm -hmm. but i'm gonna have to make a trip out to morocco just to try this beer it sounds awesome especially that beer float you were talking about too that sounds really good too yeah yeah the beer float is cool i don't know if that's something they actually do in japan i've been to japan and it's awesome they have amazing booze there they have incredible whiskey um didn't know about the beer float thing until I went to Epcot. So that might just be an Epcot thing. So you can try all those beers if you go to Epcot. Today I went to uh, the Magic Kingdom, mm. which is, you know, the main Disney park with the big uh, Cinderella castle in the middle. You know, it's the, it's the most infamous one. This is the one you see in all the movies and everything and the start of the Disney credits. Uh, I would argue that it is not the most magical place on earth because the Magic Kingdom is a dry theme park, meaning they do not serve alcohol there. So once you're inside, you're cut off, which I don't know how a person enjoys a theme park without alcohol um, on this. You feel free to let me know, but I'm going to tell you that you're wrong <laughs> because to me, there's just no way to do it. So what I did was, and hopefully uh, nobody from Disney is listening. I mean, I know they have spies everywhere and everything, and they put like those neurotoxins in the food at Disney World that make you just want to spend money. I'm, <laughs> I don't, I don't think this is. <laughs> I don't, and the only places that are air conditioned are the bathrooms and the gift shops. <laughs> so you walk around in the heat, and like eventually you walk into a gift shop because there's air conditioning. And your kids are bitching and moaning, so you end up buying them shit they don't need to shut them up. Mm. You know, like the $30 plastic toy that you end up losing. Uh, before. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. I hate to be negative. But uh, no alcohol allowed in Disney. But you can bring in your own food and drinks, which is mm. unusual because a lot of theme parks don't allow you to do that. Yeah. So uh, naturally, what a lot of people think you should do is water bottle filled with vodka which makes sense to me i'm not a big vodka drinker so what i did instead was a coke bottle filled with black rum and it looks exactly like coke i used a uh, kraken rum which i'm going to be using in my next cocktail video so when i pulled you guys on twitter you told me you were interested in rum and tequila videos so uh, i'm working on two of those right now and one of them is a disney inspired cocktail uh, with the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie coming out. Uh, it's a rum cocktail. I think you guys are going to dig it. So that'll be in the next week or two. I don't think I'm going to be doing the YouTube every week because it's a lot of work. But, you know, you got Jeff and I's face on YouTube right now. So what more could you want? Uh, so, Jeff, were you aware that the Magic Kingdom was a dry park? And does it change your feeling towards Disney at all? As someone who has never been to Disney, I don't understand why people who win the Super Bowl now want to go to Disney. <laughs> I'd rather have the Super Bowl in one hand and a cold beer in the other. And speaking of championships, uh, my favorite soccer team, Chelsea, they're a team from England. They just won the English Premier League in England. And as I was watching their uh, game-winning, uh, season-winning goal, 
I was drinking some sweet water, which we've had before, and it was called, hold on, I wrote the name down, give me one second, but it had a pineapple flavor to it, it was really enjoyable, and it was going okay. really, yeah, it was going really well with the burger I was eating over at bar one, and the name of that is Sweetwater Going Coastal, so super enjoyable, good with a burger, if you ever, I like I like to play on words. Pineapple sounds interesting. I, I don't know that I've had a, a straight pineapple beer. Uh, Barley Mo down the street here at one time did a pineapple habanero beer, and that was delicious. But like everything they do, it was limited quantity. So I had to drink as many of them as possible before the keg ran out. Yeah, I remember enjoying that one. I think I tried that one when I was down there. It's possible. It's very possible. Ah, oh, man, I could really use a beer right now after all this talk. I'm, I'm sipping on a little... Uh, Vodka and Sprite just to take the edge off, which I usually don't go for vodka, but it was the first thing I grabbed after uh, driving home from Orlando and being at a dry park all day. Because once my once my dark rum ran out in my uh, in my Coke bottle, I just was running around Disney going, why is the rum gone? And it made sense because <laughs> everybody just thought I was imitating Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And uh, yeah, I was really just hammered on rum, but then yeah, once I sweat it all out, uh, I was not having as good of a time. I was like, man, they have not updated the puppets on these rides since I was here when I was a kid, like 20 years ago. Um, so some of the things in Disney, it's just like, they have so much money. Why don't they update these things? And then you look around and you're like, oh, because this park is still packed. And people are still lining up for an hour and a half to go on It's a Small World and look at the same puppets that have been there since 1972. So <laughs> why, why are we going to put any money into this? We're just printing money here. Um, in all seriousness, Disney, Disney World was a good time. I highly recommend it. But if you're an adult who enjoys adult beverages like myself and like the animal Jeff Wilson, I recommend going to Epcot and getting yourself couple of Casa beers and some Kieran with frozen beer foam and you would be winning at life and speaking of winning we had a lot of big winners at UFC 211 last night and I'm going to attempt to pull up this card while keeping Jeff's face on the screen I'm going to need a monitor here eventually but uh, let's start at the top of this card Jeff and I don't know about you but I I was really into this card I thought it was really exciting so we'll start with the heavyweight champion, of course, Stipe Miocic, knocking out Junior Dos Santos in the first round, uh, avenging uh, a closely contested decision loss to him earlier in his career. And, man, Stipe, ever since he got that belt around his waist, his confidence keeps getting greater and greater, and his skills keep getting sharper and sharper. Uh, his biggest criticism is that he's not training with anybody notable. He's staying with the same camp. He's always had, and nobody really knows anything about his training partners, but whatever he's doing, it's working. And, man, he knocked out a guy in Junior Dos Santos who has been in there uh, and taken big shots from some of the biggest heavyweights in the division. And, you know, Stipe, I don't want to say he made it look easy, but, you know, he put him out pretty handily. Uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Stipe put him away pretty quick, and it was a first-round TKO. It took him less than three minutes, which is absolutely insane. Junior Dos Santos, really tough dude. He's been in some wars with Cain Velasquez. Uh, he had a war with Stipe Miocic when he was just um, building up ahead of steam in the UFC. So uh, one thing that may have attributed to him being put away so quick might be all the punishment he's taken, man. He's been in some wars. And at the heavyweight division, we haven't seen too many guys last very long after they go through wars like that. Yeah, that, that tends to be with the, the problem with the heavyweights. And, you know, these guys hit so hard that one shot can end it at any given time, which is why... I believe the heavyweight championship has never been defended more than twice. Mm -hmm. So uh, Stipe might be setting a record in his next fight, which I know Cain Velasquez is technically out of commission, but I think that's the fight that the fans are hoping for because uh, Cain versus Stipe would be a crazy fight. 
Kane from five years ago and Stipe now would be a crazier fight. But, uh, you know, Kane had an awesome performance in his last fight and he was looking good. So if he can recover and come back like he did against Travis Brown, um, this is the heavyweight fight to make. Uh, in the meantime, I don't know what you do with Junior Dos Santos. Uh, some people might say he, he may need to hang it up because, like you said, he's taken a lot of damage to the, to the dome piece. Um, but nobody knows for sure but him. The guy's a warrior. He's, you know, one of the nicest guys, it seems. I've never met him, but, you know, he's always got a smile on his face, and I, he never seems to have, like, drama with anybody. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe running another one back with Fabrizio over doom might make sense for him. Um, but I think he definitely needs to take a little bit of layoff, but Kane and Stipe is the fight I want to see. I don't know about you, Jeff, if you have any different feelings there. No, I agree with you. I'd like to see, uh, Stipe test his skills and his merit against Kane Velasquez. I think that would be probably one of the toughest tests in his career so far. And as for Junior Dos Santos, I kind of want to see him, you know, take a little bit of a break and then go up against someone like Francis Ngannou, who has been making some waves. Wow. You, <laughs> I mean, that might be, <laughs> that might be, uh, you know, putting a nail in the coffin there for, for all junior, you're worried about all the damage he's taken, and then you want to put him against <laughs> probably the biggest killer uh, up and comer in the division right now. Which, uh, you know, I, I mean, the UFC tends to do, you know, when they want to get rid of people or they want to silence people, they'll give them tough fights. Which is, I, a lot of people's theory is that's what they were doing with Damian Maya by giving him Jorge Masvidal mm -hmm. uh, when. He was definitely deserving of a title shot, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's another title fight that took place last night, which I thought was fucking incredible. And that was Joanna Janjacek, of course, the strawweight champion, uh, defending her title against Jessica Andrade, who is one of the only female fighters that I know of at this level who dropped down from 135 pounds to 115 pounds. And this is a crazy fight. I mean, I think Janjacek handily won uh, last four rounds, I did score the first round for Andrade because she had those awesome slam takedowns, and uh, you know that med that might have been her detriment. But I mean, you got to give it to her; she was trying to put Joanna away the entire fight. Uh, she was outstruck and outclassed on the feet, but she definitely gave Joanna a run for her money. She made her get on her bicycle the entire fight, and we actually saw Joanna and JJ get tired, which is not something we normally see. Um, I mean, it didn't stop her from putting on another, you know, nearly flawless performance, but, um, yeah, awesome fight. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one, Jeff. Yeah, man. I, I didn't know how small Jessica Andrade was, uh, standing next to Yoana and Jacek. It's hard to believe that this chick fought at 135, but Yoana has such a huge frame and for 115 especially, and she made good use of it using her length on the feet, uh, using her long reach. And you're right, man, towards the end of the fight, she was taking some deep breaths, which we haven't seen before. And, you know, Jessica Andrade was tough. And at the end of the fight, I don't know if you, uh, if you saw this, Bill, but Yoana had this massive... It was like another head coming out of her forehead. Yeah, she had a pretty devious hematoma on her forehead, which we've seen from her before. She's gotten a lot of face swelling. Um, the fight with Karolina Kovokovic was another example of that. So, I mean, she's winning, and she's winning handily. Uh, I don't think there's been any controversial decisions, really. Um, you know, the second fight with Claudia Gadelia uh, was close, but... I, I think most people would agree that Joanna took away from it, but I mean, she's having some wars here uh, and she's definitely taking a lot of damage. Uh, these are two fighters who I think would both be well suited for the newly established or the newly announced flyweight division. I would like to see Jessica Andrade get in there first and Joanna stay at 115 and Andrade possibly go on to become the champion there and then maybe do this thing again at 125 because if Andrade was coming with that kind of fire uh, in the fifth round, 
that she was winging those bombs. Imagine what she could do if she didn't have to cut as much weight and go down to 115. I think 125 is the place for her, especially because she was – I know she wasn't cutting a lot when she was at 135, but she still was 135 pounds and now fighting at 115. that you know That's a 20-pound difference if my mental math is correct, uh, which it usually isn't. Uh, so that's what I would like to see. And I, I think Joanna is definitely going to want to move up um, and, and challenge the winner of that Ultimate Fighter season that was announced. If you haven't heard about it, the next season of Ultimate Fighter season 26 is going to be women's flyweights. And apparently it was it was already planned to be a male middleweight season and guys had uh, booked plane tickets and everything to go to the tryouts and then they canceled it and they're making it women's flyweights, which uh, you and I have been advocating for, for a long time. Any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? No, it was enjoyable. I think Andrade put on as much of a show as she could considering the size differential. I thought she was good on the ground. Although in the first round, when she took Joanna down, Joanna surprisingly got up pretty quick. Um, so, you know, it, it was interesting. And I feel like I, I'm in the same boat as you. I'd like to see them rematch after the 125 division is built and Jessica Andrade can really get her feet wet in that division. Yeah, I think, and we've seen that before from Joanna, and that's a good point too. She's good at springing back up. I think the only jujitsu she trains is an explosive butterfly guard to get back to her feet. She's not looking to submit anybody or prove herself on the ground to anybody. She's a striker. She doesn't care if you know that she's only a striker. She's going to strike with you, and it's your job to try and stop it, um, which is pretty much the opposite of Damian Maya, who is not a striker. He's a jiu-jitsu guy, and he went back to his jiu-jitsu roots, and that's why he went on a killer winning streak which made him deserving of a title shot. But before we get into that fight, I want to address the fact that after the Ioana and Jacek fight, Joe Rogan interviewed Jessica Andrade with their translator. And I don't know if you saw this, Jeff, or if you were watching on a bar and you couldn't hear the audio, but um, the translator said uh, Jessica wanted to thank Ioana for giving her a title shot and for giving her a tough fight. And she wants to ask her girlfriend to marry her. And... It was just kind of like at the end of his statement, he's like, and she wants her girlfriend to marry her. And Joe Rogan turns around and was like, oh, yeah, and there she is over there. All right, let me ask you about this fight. <laughs> and <laughs> just completely ignored the fact that Jessica Andrade made a wedding proposal in the octagon after losing a title fight. And there's just so many things wrong with, with this scenario here it looked like rogan for a second thought about like oh well let's get her up here let's get her in the octagon but then you could tell he probably got a message mm -hmm. in his earpiece and they were like no just interview her about the fight we gotta we gotta wrap up we're getting we're coming close to the curfew or something like that but um wow assuming she said yes big congratulations to jessica Andrade. um it, it's awesome that a lot of these uh female fighters are able to, you know, come out of publicly and they're comfortable with that. Uh, you know, the women's bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunez, is married to her partner now, I believe. Um, so congratulations, Jessica, if you're listening. I don't know if Jessica Andrade listens either. Jessica, if you're listening, send me a text to let me know. This is the... <laughs> this is the this is the test. And mom, if you're still listening, um, I'm waiting for your text too. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. While I'm waiting for text messages from Jessica Andrade and my mom, uh, let's get into the Damian Maya Jorge Masvidal fight. So Jorge Masvidal demolishes Cowboy Cerrone and calls out Damian Maya, the guy who nobody wants to fight and also nobody wants to give a title shot to. Uh, he was definitely deserving of it but they put it off because Tyron Woodley and Steven Thompson went to that draw, and then they had their terrible rematch. So Damian Maia got put on the shelf. He went from being on the shelf to being on Jorge Masvidal's back for seven or eight minutes of a 15-minute contest last night. Uh, so how did you see this one going? It was a split decision for Maia. Uh, the judges, two of the judges seemed to credit 
the jujitsu of Maya more than the striking of Masvidal. Um, the broadcasters thought that Masvidal did a lot of damage. I didn't necessarily see it that way. Um, I thought Damian Maya was was very controlling, very dominant. I mean, if you have somebody's back, that's the most dominant position you could be in on the ground. And they're never going to stand you up uh, from being on somebody's back. We saw that in the Ryan Hall, uh, Arlen Lobov fight, the Ultimate Fighter finale. Um, so if you're able to control somebody like that, if it's a street fight scenario and there's no bell, that guy's staying on your back uh, until he knocks you out or he chokes you unconscious. That's the way I saw it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. Demi and Maya had a lot of control on the ground. And even on the feet, I didn't see... I mean, Jorge Masvidal was clearly a little bit better, but just a little bit. He, I didn't. I felt like he wasn't controlling it as much as he could have on the feet. But Demi and Maya definitely had so much control on the ground. Um, the only thing that may have swayed me a little bit was at the end of the first round when Demi and Maya almost kind of was slipping and Jorge Masvidal kind of turned him a little bit and turned around and faced him and started punching him. So that maybe would have been a bigger decision. But other than that, I felt like Demi and Maya was in control the whole time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, credit for Jorge Masvidal. I mean, he survived Demi and Maya being on his back for that amount of time, yeah. which I don't think has been done before. Maybe... Uh, hmm. Gunnar Nelson, hmm. uh, when Gunnar Nelson fought Damian Maya, he was able to survive a long time and Damian Maya had his back, uh, for a while in that fight. But, uh, credit to Masvidal for, you know, having good submission defense and having a great game plan. I was surprised that Damian Maya was able to get Masvidal to the ground because Masvidal's, you know, a very solid wrestler and, you know, Maya's takedowns are not the cleanest. I mean, some of them he had to just kind of hold on to a leg and fall to the floor and do whatever he could to get to the fight to the ground, which, you know, credit to him. That's what he had to do to win, and that's what he tried to do. But, um, you know, Masvidal was standing very straight up. He wasn't lowering his level at all to to try and sprawl very much. Um, but uh, even though they weren't clean takedown attempts, they were awkward. I mean, he was coming at, at weird angles. He wasn't shooting straight in. He wasn't setting up his takedowns with punches. He was just kind of diving for legs and, and falling on the ground. But I, uh, I thought Maya clearly won the fight and, you know, he went over to the corner and begged Dana White for a title title shot. And then he said in the post fight, uh, press conference, he's not going to sell himself for a title shot. You know, he knows he deserves it and that's what he should get. So it looks like it's going to be Woodley and Maya. So any other thoughts on the fight and any thoughts on, uh, Damian Maya facing the champion, Tyra Woodley. I don't know, man. I don't know if Damian Maya, as good as jiu-jitsu is, I feel like Tyron Woodley's combination of wrestling and stand-up might be just a little too much for him. So we'll wait and see. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, except for the fact that, you know, we've seen Woodley go against a specialist in his last two fights, and he was tentative to engage. Hmm. So... Um, you know, maybe if you're thinking too much about avoiding one aspect of somebody's game, that could get in your head a little bit. I could definitely see that, um, you know, that, that could be the case with a lot of fighters, you know, a lot of this game is mental. So if you're thinking, if I get in this position, it's over for me, uh, then if you get in that position, it's going to be over for you. Uh, you, you know, you got to have the right mindset. You got to have the confidence in your abilities. And I think that's why Jorge Masvidal was able to survive that fight because he was confident no matter where the fight went. Uh, even though he wasn't able to do much when he got in those bad positions, he also didn't get submitted. Um, so speaking of somebody who didn't do much, uh, Yair Rodriguez and Frankie Edgar, uh, Frankie Edgar just demolished this kid. Uh, they didn't even, it looked like a professional against, an amateur. It, I looked, uh, I don't even know how else to describe it. Yair Rodriguez was outclassed by the scariest Frankie Edgar we've ever seen in the octagon, in my opinion, and just smashed his face uh, until his eye was swollen shut. I mean, there was no 
there's no debating whether that fight should have been stopped or not. His eye was completely closed. Yeah. Just complete domination by Frankie Edgar. And the most impressive part for me before I get your input on this fight, Jeff, was Frankie Edgar's footwork and his eyes. The way he was able to just slightly move his head back when Yair would kick and just keep his head right in the pocket and just move it slightly out of the way and then answer with combinations. Yair didn't know what to do with that because he's used to less experienced fighters flinching when he throws these kicks. And, you know, that's how you catch guys. But uh, Frankie Edgar just looked so crisp. Uh, his head movement was excellent. His footwork, as always, was incredible. Uh, his takedowns were beautiful, and his ground and pound was nasty so what were, what are your thoughts on this fight jeff i know you're a big uh frankie edgar fan yeah man frankie edgar's a jersey boy so uh i love the guy and he's all heart man but yesterday he put on just a clinic man um like you said on the stand-up his footwork was great head movement was good he's got really he's uh working with mark henry he's uh improved his hand speed a lot and on the ground, man, he's just, he's one of those guys, and this is where jiu-jitsu uh, kind of clashes with MMA a little bit, is, you know, Yair Rodriguez trying to set up his guard when he's on the bottom, but when you're getting punched in the face, you know, people are comfortable staying in your guard all day, especially someone like Frankie Edgar, who's going to push with his hips, so he keeps your legs up, keeps you from doing too much to him, and that pressure from his hands, and um, I, it's just everything about Frankie Edgar's ground and pound is vicious, man. Uh, the way he pushes up with his hips so that your legs are on him, but they're not doing anything. Like, you can't hold him the way that he postures up. And then just he was just raining down bombs and elbows, and it was a mess, man. Like, I um, – to quote Frankie Edgar, you know, that kid's going to be a superstar someday. But yesterday was not the day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like your commentary on the closed guard because it's something that's just not really effective for MMA. And even at high-level – uh, jiu-jitsu competition the the closed guard is just not utilized anymore a lot of guys have moved to open guard and butterfly guard games and even half guard and deep half guard games uh, i mean not deep half guard so much in mma but as far as uh, jiu-jitsu competition so uh the closed guard is more of a desperation thing much like the knee bar that yair rodriguez attempted which to a lot of people it might have looked close it was more that just Frankie's leg was a little stuck in there. I don't think he was in danger at any point from that, from that knee bar necessarily. Um, you know, it's, it's a desperation move that he's grabbing for something to hold on to because he was getting his face smashed in. But um, once Frankie got that leg loose, it was, it was back to face smashing and um, you know, Frankie just looked awesome. And the, the saddest part about this is what do you do with Frankie Edgar? If, Jose Aldo beats Max Holloway because you here you have a clear number one contender in Frankie Edgar and you have a champion who's beaten him twice. So can you really justify putting Frankie in there for a third time against Jose Aldo? Now, if Max Holloway wins, now you've got some possibilities because Max Holloway versus the Frankie Edgar we saw last night would be an amazing fight. But now if you're the UFC, you kind of have to hope Max Holloway beats Jose Aldo to make this happen. Uh, you think I'm on the right track with this, Jeff, or what are your thoughts on it? Bill, I don't think you need to hope for anything. I think that Max Holloway will beat Jose Aldo mm -hmm. um, on June 3rd. Uh, Max Holloway is just a stud, man. Ever since his loss to Conor McGregor, he's been on a tear. And I think he's improved so much in so little time. He's only been doing this a few years. He's like my age. He's like 24. Um so I really think he's got it in him to beat Jose Aldo, especially because Aldo, one, he's getting older. Two, I don't think he's the same guy after that loss to Conor McGregor just because he's never lost like that. And three, he's not the killer that he was in, like, the WEC days where he would come at people with flying knees and they'd drop to the ground in a heap. Yeah. For sure. Um, 
I, I think uh, he definitely lost some of his edge since the WEC days. And uh, Max Holloway, I mean, at 10 in a row, is it? I, I mean, the kid's on fire. Um, I, I would hope to see – I think if you can do Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, three, only if Frankie is the champion. Otherwise, that fight just doesn't make sense. So if Holloway wins and then Frankie beats Holloway, uh, then you can have Jose Aldo challenge for the title. But otherwise – uh, you're kind of stuck. If, if Aldo wins, you can't really put Frankie Edgar in there again for a third time to challenge for the same belt. Um, and so let's let's move on uh, down the card, and uh, I'll I'll move on to your boy uh, David Branch pulling the split decision uh, victory over uh, Christoph Jotko, who uh, I believe the UFC had been trying to build up. Uh, if that were the case, it didn't work out for them because David Branch, uh, I, you know, pulled off the decision. I don't want to spend too much time on this fight um, because it was, you know, not the most exciting. But what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm going to say what we're both thinking here. This was a snooze fest, man. Um, I'm pretty sure I went to the bathroom for a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I ate a pizza or something. I don't know. But um, the point is, you know, Branch did what he needed to do to win. I think he was a little nervous, uh, this being his re-debut in the UFC after some time away. But, you know, he got the win, and hopefully uh, he'll be a little bit more comfortable in the octagon next time around because he did look a little tentative. And overall, I think after the awesome undercard that we had, this fight just – it it wasn't up to par. Yeah. I mean, it, it was unfortunate because, you know, here, here are two, you know, potential prospects you have. And I thought the story of this fight, though, was the refereeing. Mm. And, uh, you know, as soon as Branch would push Jocko up against the cage, the referee would, would be like, get off my cage and then, then break him up. And I, I found that to be really strange. Um, but, yeah. Not, not the most exciting fight. Um, you know, a big win for David Branch. I, I don't think he was favored in that fight, but he came away with the victory. But, you know, good luck uh, marketing yourself after that one because um, I think our analysis here on this show might be the most coverage that fight gets, especially with all the other, <laughs> all the other exciting. And, uh, you know, no offense to David Branch. David, if you're listening – Send me a text <laughs> to let me know what's up. <laughs> and I um, I might be getting a lot of text messages, and some of them not so not so happy. But um, I, I want to move on to Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez. Now I've been kind of giving my take on these last couple of fights, and then deferring to you, Jeff. Uh, why don't you give me your summary and thoughts on this fight, and then I'll tell you what I thought about it. Bill, I was really upset at how this fight ended um, because fuck these new rules. Fuck the states who are deciding to stick to the old rules. Uh, fuck USADA. Fuck whoever decided that this was a good idea to have two sets of rules. And, like, <clears throat> every night the refs got to change you know, the rule set and remind the fighters of what rule set they're using. It's all bullshit. But... Aside from the end of the fight, this was a fucking brawl. This was an awesome fight. At one point, it looked like Dustin Poirier was going to knock Eddie Alvarez out, and then Alvarez started swinging for the fences. It looked like he was going to knock Poirier out. This was a fun fight, man. But what's your take on it? I, like, I, I'm too excited about this fight to even get into analysis. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board with you. The The rules are a problem, and... At what point can you even call them unified rules anymore when a lot of these states aren't adopting them? And, uh, you know, the final knee Eddie threw would have been illegal under the new rule set as well. And a lot of people were crucifying Eddie online from what I saw on, on Twitter and on some of the news sites uh, saying, you know, he shouldn't have thrown the, that knee. Look, if you've ever been hit really hard, and rocked and and still been in a fight i i think you would understand eddie's frame of mind he was straight in survival mode mm -hmm. 
Uh, he was clearly concussed, possibly had a broken orbital bone. I, I would, I'm 80% confident both of them had broken orbitals after that fight. It, it was just so crazy, so much action. And the way he went down and then he gets up and Poirier has him backed up against the cage and Eddie's just swinging like a madman trying to survive and, and lands a takedown and, and then rocked, you know, wobbled Poirier a couple of times somewhere in between gets that takedown. And then, uh, you know, he's not thinking clearly. And then, you know, you have all these rule changes and these guys have so much to think about. Eddie Alvarez has fought all over the world. He's fought under every rule set there's ever been pretty much. Um, you know, the guy is a natural fighter, a killer, and he was rocked and not in the greatest mental state and in straight survival mode. There's no other way to put it. And you can't really fault him for that. And I think, uh, Poirier kind of said the same thing, you know, don't, don't boo him for doing that. This man's a fighter. He's a champion. He's a legend and uh, all things true. Uh, I, I'm a little disappointed with how quick people are to turn on Eddie Alvarez because, you know, before the Conor McGregor fight, a lot of the same people on Twitter and on message boards and everything are, are reminding everybody, this is the underground King. This is, you know, Eddie Alvarez legend. And then, you know, the, the guy falls on bad times in one fight loses his title. And then, you know, has some unfortunate, illegal strikes in another fight that he was very possibly losing. Uh, I think it's fair to say Poirier was up on the scorecards uh, and people turn on him so quickly. Um, I mean, it, look, it's a shitty way for a fight to end. No doubt about it. Neither one of these guys wants a no contest. You know, they want a winner. I think either one of them would prefer to be knocked out than to have this no contest. And I think the only solution is to run it back and have them do it again. Um, unfortunately for Eddie Alvarez, you kind of got to wonder, you know, what that Conor McGregor fight did to him because he was much more stiff and much more tentative, uh, you know, until he got hurt, uh, then we've, then we're used to seeing him, you know, we're used to seeing him press the action and, and, you know, figure it out later, you know, shoot, shoot now, ask questions later. That's been Eddie Alvarez's style his whole career. And that's what has led to his success. But, um, yeah, I just really want to drive home the point of the survival mode. If you've ever been hit hard and, and, uh, forced to keep fighting, uh, you're not, you're not thinking about, you know, what the rules are and what, what you should and shouldn't be doing. You're thinking, uh, you know, it's kill or be killed right now because, you know, I'm, I'm rocked. I don't really know where I am right now, but I'm still in this fight. So, uh, that was my take on it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, man. I don't think it's Eddie Alvarez's fault at all. You know, like you said, he's in survival mode. And honestly, I didn't even realize that Texas hadn't adopted the new rules. So I didn't think that Dustin Poirier was a downed opponent. Uh, but, you know, love Eddie Alvarez. He's he's the underground king. He's the man. Fuck all you haters. You fickle-minded people. <laughs> We're <that's>, going. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that, Bill. We're going heel, Jeff. We're just, <laughs> we're calling out <laughs> we're calling out people now. I'm calling out people who never told me about Moroccan beer. <laughs> so, listen, if you're hating on Eddie Alvarez, send me a text. <laughs> <laughs> we have some choice words for you. <laughs> In all seriousness, if you want to talk about uh, anything we're discussing here on the show, uh, of course you can reach me at MMA on the Rocks. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, probably any other social media platform. And you can get Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. Um, now was probably not the most ideal time to plug those social media handles, but uh, you know, we're always up for a, a little debate and a little, a little drama. Um, I, I ignore trolls. I, I don't have any patience for them. Uh, so when they appear, uh, I don't really engage with them at all. I'm usually one comment and done. But if you want to actually have a sophisticated conversation, I'm all for it. Speaking of conversation, there's somebody I've been talking about on this show since episode number two of MMA on the Rocks, which, uh, you know, it's coming up on a year ago 
in July. July will be a year of this podcast. We're we're coming up on the on the uh, half half century of episodes. Also, I mean, this is forty seven. We got fifty coming up. Uh, they said we wouldn't make it this far. So here we are. In any case, fighter, I'm talking about Jason the Kid Knight, the redneck Diaz brother. Uh, I don't know what it is about this kid, but I'm a fan. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Chaz Skelly too. I think he has an awesome style. I think he's tough as shit. Uh, he definitely showed it last night. This was a war. Um, this this was the the fight of the night, in my opinion. If I had to pick one, this it was just so exciting. The grappling exchanges were so technical and so brutal, and these guys were just brawling. And I love high paced fights like this. It, I mean, it is amazing. But uh, Jason Knight coming out with the TKO victory over Chaz Skelly after supposedly breaking his arm in the first round, which I didn't realize it happened when the fight was going on. But apparently in one of those submissions or grappling exchanges, uh, uh, Skelly's arm popped. Uh, I don't know if it was from one of those omoplatas or one of those armbar transitions, but you know his arm was apparently broken and Jason Knight heard it break and he said that you know, Chaz kept fighting, kept landing takedowns, no less, and uh, kept throwing strikes as if nothing was wrong. What were your takes on this fight, Jeff? And what are your, um, what's your feeling on Jason Knight? Because I know I've been telling you about him for a long time. Yeah, I'm a fan, dude. After last night, I'm a fan. Uh, that first round was awesome just because it was all grappling. It was all scrambles, and Jason Knight kept using the omoplata to get on top, and it was just a real super technical. Um, I love watching these two guys. I want to see them fight again. Um, both of these guys super tough, and Jason Knight in the third round just did this walk-in uppercut where – Skelly went down and he couldn't get up. So, you know, good fight. I'm definitely a fan of Jason Knight now. I'm going to keep an eye on him and Chaz Skelly. This was just a fun fight, man. This whole undercard was awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is uh, everything was great about about this whole card. But uh, this was the winner for me. If I'm handing out a, a fight of the night trophy, it's it's going to these guys. Uh, they went to war for sure. I can't wait to see both of them fight again. I kind of would like to see Jason Knight get in there with Yair Rodriguez. Um, now, that may not work out because Jason Knight, uh, in his post-fight interview, said he has three fights left on his contract, and he wants them all this year. He said he wants to fight in July, October, and December or something, which is crazy. That's like... Uh, you know, that's a Cowboy Cerrone pace, which we don't see a lot of guys keep up. I don't think Yair Rodriguez is going to be ready to get back in there uh, by July uh, after what happened to his face uh, by the hands of Frankie Edgar. And speaking of Frankie Edgar, I don't think I'm ready to see Jason Knight get in there with someone the caliber of Frankie Edgar. Mm. So uh, I think Yair and Jason Knight would be an awesome explosive fight. I don't really know anybody else off the top of my head who I'd like to see Jason Knight get in there with but um yeah that's that's the fight i kind of want to make maybe it's like a recency effect where i just saw yair and i just saw um jason knight so jason knight went up a few pegs and and yair got knocked down a couple so i think they're about on the same level right now what do you think about that jeff yeah, that sounds like a fun fight to put on. Um, I'd definitely like to see that one. Or I would like to see Jason Knight fight. And, Bill, you can you can argue with me on this, but I would like to see him fight Artem Lobov after seeing how tough his chin is. I think Jason Knight could take him into deep water. Yeah, I mean, that, that might be an interesting one. Uh, I think Jason Knight uh, definitely comes a lot more well-rounded and... I don't think that Russian hammer is going to be too effective against, uh, you know, the redneck Diaz brother. And I can't remember uh, where that nickname came from. If we read it somewhere or I remember when I first started talking about him back on episode two, I said he was much like a Diaz brother because he gets in there and he talks smack. Yeah. So I don't want to take credit for this phrase, but I, I've been saying it for a while and I can't remember where I heard it. So, 
in the interim, I'll take credit for it. If you came up with this phrase, send me a text. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just going to keep running this joke into the ground. Um, in any case, awesome fight. Awesome fight. Uh, both of them did really well. I wouldn't mind Chaz Skelly versus Artem Lobov. Um, you know, that that would be pretty cool to see. Also, I mean, these guys are all scrappers, so um, it's an exciting division. It's definitely really stacked, so a lot of cool things uh, going on there. Um, another awesome fight that I saw, I don't know if you caught this one, Chase Sherman uh, welcomes Rashad Coulter to the heavyweight division of the UFC, and uh, he... Uh, <laughs> Rashad Coulter can take a punch, man. I mean, he he took some serious damage and kept coming. And it was a lot like the Eddie Alvarez fight where he went down and he was back against the cage and just swinging wild. Uh, he almost got to put, put away with leg kicks a couple of times. Uh, I think there was a lot of criticism of Jacob Montalvo, Jacob Montalvo, the referee, for not stopping this fight sooner. But eventually Chase Sherman uh, getting the knockout uh, in round two towards the end of it. Uh, did you catch this one, Jeff? Yeah, I did, and I agree. I think that the ref messed up a little bit. I think the fight should have ended sooner. Um, Rashad Coulter, just I, he couldn't walk, man. Um, but this dude has so much heart, man. He took a straight-up ass-whooping, and he just kept swinging. And there were a couple times where he almost finished Sherman with a couple of the bombs he was throwing. So overall, awesome fight. And I, for me, this was the fight of the night. But for me, I think this was the fight of the night. I think both of these guys had so much heart. Rashad Coulter, I can't wait to see him get back in the cage. He's my hero, man. Yeah, I mean, they were both awesome. I think um, Rashad Coulter definitely earned his place in the UFC. I believe that was his debut. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to be excited with whenever some uh, new heavyweights come in because, you know, the, the heavyweight division is a little old. You know, the, a lot of the guys are, um, you know, on the in their upper 30s and uh, pushing 40, uh, which is more possible for the bigger guys because, as they say, power is the last thing to go and power is the most important thing at heavyweight. So it's good to see some young guys making a splash. Um, any other fights you want to touch on on this card, Jeff? Uh, James Vick had a first-round TKO. Courtney Casey went to war with Jessica Aguilar. Uh, Enrique Barzola, any of those stick out to you? Just the James Vick fight. Uh, I was actually just watching it, uh, the replay on TV. Uh, it was a fun fight to watch. Uh, bad night for the Mexican fighters. Yair Rodriguez got the shit kicked out of him, and Reyes got TKO'd. So, uh, good fight from James Vick. Excited to see him get back in the cage, even though he's more of a submission guy. But, hey, he earned a knockout lead last night, so good for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of big winners on this card. Uh, I, I feel like this card not only was exciting, but I feel like it's mixed things up a lot more than, uh, cards have in the past. So, uh, it's opened a lot of doors. It's made a lot of things possible. And, uh, you know, there's exciting things on the horizon for the UFC. Uh, I think the new management has been under a watchful eye and been criticized pretty heavily lately so uh it's good to see the fighters putting on a show and kind of proving that you know they are what people should be paying attention to and not you know all the bullshit politics that come along with with big business and things like that so uh awesome night of fights um you know the the alvarez poirier outcome was a downer but i mean that was a classic fight and i would watch it again um just for the sheer excitement of it. And um, so the only other thing to that I wanted to touch on is um, su Submission Underground put on by Flow Grappling, which is uh, partially owned by Chael Sonnen, went on today. And uh, your buddy Jake Shields defeated Dylan Dennis, who, those of you who don't know, Dylan Dennis is Conor McGregor's jiu-jitsu coach. He's a black belt under the infamous Marcelo Garcia, who is arguably one of the greatest jujitsu practitioners of all time. And uh, he's kind of brash, kind of a loud mouth, talks a lot of smack. 
just signed with Bellator to fight MMA. Nobody really knows how he is at MMA yet, but he's awesome at jiu-jitsu. He was a four-to-one favorite in this grappling match to beat Jake Shields, and uh, Jake Shields was able to uh, come away with the win. Uh, they follow EBI rules, so they do the escape time at the end. Um, I don't want to get into how those rules work, but uh, Jake Shields was able to escape uh, submission positions from Dylan Dennis quicker than Dennis was able to escape. Uh, Dennis almost caught uh, Jake Shields in a deep guillotine that he jumped into during regulation, but uh, Jake Shields was able to escape. So again, for somebody to be a four to one favorite over Jake Shields, that says something about the level of jujitsu they have and through and winning a match against someone who was a four to one favorite over him uh, speaks to the timeless grappling ability of Jake Shields. So uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup, Jeff, and uh, of Dylan Dennis in general? Yeah, I don't know too much about Dylan Dennis, but hey, man, for like you said, Jake Shields, tough dude. He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a very high-level grappler overall. Uh, he mixes it up really well with his wrestling and jiu-jitsu. And, you know, for someone to be a 4-1 to favorite over him, that, that's that's tough, man. Uh, so good for him and good for Dylan Dennis. I'm excited to see him get in the cage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, there was a lot of controversy with that, too, because he told Bellator he wanted to make his debut at the Madison Square Garden card, and he said he wanted to be on the pay-per-view. And they were like, well, you know, you've never done this before. And he's like, yeah, but I'm the biggest draw you have. And he's like, <laughs> and they were just like, um, you know, that's cute, but you know, we're, we're not going to do that. And, you know, losing in a grappling match to Jake Shields probably isn't going to help his argument much anymore. But, uh, you know, young kid, awesome jujitsu skills. So it'll be interesting to see him go into MMA. Uh, the only other fight on that card or grappling match on that card I want to mention is uh, Paolo Miao uh, defeated Uriah Faber. Um, talk about you know how good these MMA guys are at straight grappling. Obviously, Faber known for his grappling in the octagon and his submission skills, uh, but going against a straight grappler in a grappling match. Uh, although these these uh, matches do take place in a cage which would benefit uh, grapplers. Um, so Meow, obviously world-class jiu-jitsu, but Faber, no slouch in his own right. So same thing, Faber lost uh, due to escape time. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Jeff? The uh, UFC Hall of Famer, Uriah Faber, uh, getting into a little grappling uh, competition. Hey, man, that's what got him to the dance. So I'm not surprised that he was able to go into uh, even the, the escape time thing because that's only if at the end of regulation there's no winner. So, you know, it's basically like going into overtime. So, you know, good for Faber that he's still out there doing his thing because, like I said, that's what got him to the dance is that wrestling, that grappling style. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, anything else? uh Burn a hole in your pocket there, Jeff. Uh, this weekend coming up real quick. Uh, Friday, I believe, Bellator's putting on Rory McDonald's debut against uh, Paul Daly. So that'll be fun. I think it's going to be in England. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch those two scrap. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be great to see uh, Rory McDonald uh, make his comeback. Uh, he's a guy who I've said in the past is big with the hardcore fans, but he's not going to draw in the casual fan. Um, so, I mean, he's either going to have an impressive win over Paul Daly to have any drawing power for Bellator, or he's going to unfortunately have to lose in devastating fashion to have any drawing power for Bellator. And then uh, Michael Venom Page was taken off of that card uh, due to an injury. So, you know, there's that too, but uh, pretty good card Friday night. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking that one out as well. And then we don't have another UFC this coming weekend, so uh, we can break down the next UFC card on the following episode. All right, Jeff. So if you don't have anything else, uh, I think that's it for this week. 
You guys know the social media handles. Uh, I'm waiting for text messages from several of you. So uh, I'll be on standby. I'll keep my phone close by for those. Uh, so, you know, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, I love getting feedback from you guys. I really appreciate everybody who gave me input about the next uh, drink videos you want to see. So I have some cool things in store for that. If you haven't seen any of the drink videos, check out MMA on the Rocks on YouTube. And if you do try any of those cocktails, uh, take some pictures of them and tag me on social media. And that's all we got for this week. So for Jeff the Animal Wilson, my name is Bill Welker. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.